Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The FT. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman. This week, a looming political showdown in Italy and its implications for the rest of Europe. Mario Monti, the Italian Prime Minister, has said he'll resign and elections are likely to be held next February. But who will run, let alone win, remains unclear. Mr Monti may run, or he may not. And the same goes for Silvio Berlusconi, the controversial 76-year-old billionaire who's been the dominant figure in Italian politics for the last decade. To discuss all this, I'm joined on the line from Rome by our bureau chief there, Guy Dinmore, and in the studio, Tony Barber, our Europe editor, and Ferdinando Giuliano, who writes FT Leaders on Economics and who is also a real live Italian. Uh, Guy, the situation seems extremely unclear. I mean, are we even certain that there will be elections, and do we know who the main contenders would be? Well, it's almost certain there will be elections. I think we're heading towards a dissolution of Parliament just before Christmas once the budget law for next year is passed. And then the election date will be fixed, and everyone is suggesting February the 17th or a week afterwards. Who's going to run? It's completely unknown whether Mario Monti will decide to remove his technocrat hat and become a campaigning politician. I would guess that Berlusconi will indeed be trying to salvage something for himself as leader of the centre-right. And on the centre-left, who are actually well ahead in the opinion polls, there is Luigi Bersani, former communist, now more a sort of converted pragmatist, uh, leading the, the Democrats. What's your guess on Mr Monti's intentions? Do you think in the end he, he will choose to, to enter politics? He must be thinking there are enormous risks. If he does enter personally, then he's going to cause the ire of both Berlusconi on the right and Bessani on the left, because they fear risking a lot of votes to Monti in the centre. In which case, the, the elections could turn on a referendum on Monti himself, Italy's role in Europe, and... The opinion polls don't give Monty a huge number of votes. And, you know, if, if he lost what was effectively a referendum, it would send a dreadful message to Europe. So, Tony, do you think, uh, given all that, that we're looking as if we're moving to the end of the period of technocratic government in Italy and back to politics as, as usual? Largely, yes, I think that is right. I think the uh, experience of 12 months of technocratic government has been fairly successful, but it's reaching its natural end. The same sort of thing happened in the early 90s when uh, Carlo Azelio Ciampi was prime minister for about the same sort of time, and then politics resumed. I think that Monty, however, may well be thinking that he could exercise his influence and and display his responsibility more effectively if he moved up to the position of president of the Italian state. The current president, Giorgio Napolitano's term, uh, expires in May, I believe, and um, it would be a, a suitable role for Monty. But even if he didn't become president, one mustn't forget that he's a life member of the Senate, so he would still have a seat in the upper house of Parliament. But one way or another, I would expect his influence to bear upon the policies of the next government. Still, Ferdinando, I mean, the markets have put a lot of faith in, in Monty. He has a great reputation in the rest of Europe, indeed the rest of the world. 
Do you think there's a risk for Italy that if he goes, there'll be a loss of market confidence in the situation in Italy? Well, this is what everyone feared on Monday when there was a massive sell-off of Italian bonds on the announcement of uh, the resignation of Mr. Monti. But I think over the last couple of days, we've seen that the situation is not as simple. I think the big game changer over the last few months was the decision by the European Central Bank to announce that uh, it will buy uh, bonds of peripheral governments were they to apply for help from the uh, European uh, authorities. So I think Italy is a less risky asset than it was before. However, much will depend on what the next government will decide to do. And of course, where a centre-left or a centre-right government will win the election, decide not to... Uh, adopt a reformist agenda, then probably markets could turn against Italy once more. Give us an idea. Let's say that Monti does indeed uh, step down at the beginning of next year. What will his legacy be? I mean, how much has he been successful in pushing through a reform agenda? And, and what's the state of the economy? Well, I think the experience of the Monti government has been mixed. Many claim that he's only been good at really raising taxes and hasn't done very much for growth. I think this is a bit unfair. It's true that his most successful moment was probably in the, in the first few months when he managed to pass quite swiftly a very tough austerity package and to reform the pension system. But I think there was a hint of fiscal reform in what he was trying to do, which is basically to suggest to the future governments that future taxes have to be levied on housing and perhaps then future governments have to be a bit softer on income and business taxes, which in Italy are incredibly high. Uh, where it's been less successful for sure is on, uh, for example, on reforming the labour market, where I think his rhetoric in Europe um, or, or the way he's, been, he's, he's managed to sell his reform was probably more effective uh, than the reform itself. The Italian labour market will remain a dual labour market with some people who are, especially older people who are overprotected and younger workers who have much less protection and very often leave, leave the country to go and seek better prospects abroad. Guy, we're going to have an election campaign, then. What do you expect will be the dominant themes? Ah, I think it's going to be the economy, really. And, and what, what, what will the approach be? I mean, is, is Berlusconi, for example, going to attack the whole idea of austerity? I mean, he's already doing that to some extent, isn't he? Uh, yes, for sure. We'll be having elections in Italy's longest post-war recession. We're already in the sixth quarter of recession now. So in February, we'll be in the seventh personal consumption is collapsing. Taxes are going up enormously. This is going to be a miserable Christmas because Italians are paying a second tranche of their property tax now instead of going out and spending. So this will weigh heavily on the minds of the electorate when they cast their votes. And, and never mind that Monty may have sown the seeds of future growth with, with his reform plans. So there will be the Berlusconi promises, as always, of, of tax cuts stimulating growth the left will be much more cautious. They're saying we're not going to spin fairy tales, um, but they're also talking about reducing the cost of labor. Um, if it becomes an all-out battle over the economy, then Monty, if he does decide to run in the center, will, will have a very tough time defending himself, I think.
How do the public seem to be reacting to all this? I mean, which argument do you think is likely to prove more persuasive? Are people tired of austerity now? Are they likely to respond to a Berlusconi-like argument that this is unnecessary, what we need is stimulus? I think they would respond to Berlusconi if he hadn't failed quite miserably to carry out all the promises he'd made before. He's, he's just not really affidabile, as the Italians say. He's not trustworthy anymore. I mean, that message of tax cuts will be heard, but I don't think people really have the faith to vote for him. Now, of course, Tony, I mean, all of this has big pan-European implications. And another theme that seems to be emerging again, particularly in the rhetoric of Mr. Berlusconi, is a willingness to be quite antagonistic towards Germany, to say all this is unnecessary and it's a kind of German, if not plot, a German diktat to to impose uh, inappropriate policies on Italy. Uh, How far do you think that theme can go in Italy? Uh, as Guy pointed out, the rhetoric that comes from Berlusconi uh, can only have a limited appeal these days because he himself is so widely regarded as having been a prime cause of the trouble Italy has run into. So the anti-German uh, uh, populist rhetoric of Berlusconi uh, it doesn't carry the same sort of weight that the that uh, it might do if it came from an, another figure. One should remember that there was something similar going on in Greece during the uh, elections earlier this year there, um, and it didn't it didn't carry the day. What carried the day in the end was a more nuanced uh, call for help and and understanding uh, from um, the new prime minister Samaras. So I, I don't I don't see anti-German sweeping the board in Italy. Uh, what I do think, though, is that uh, Monti had a particular importance on the European stage because he was trusted by the Germans and, indeed, the authorities in Brussels, of course, because he'd been a European commissioner there for 10 years. And it will be a little bit difficult for whoever is the next prime minister to carry the same sort of authority that Monti had. And the stakes, of course, for Europe are enormously high. I mean, people say that, in the end the success or failure of the euro may turn on the success or failure of the Italian economy, its ability to live with a single currency. Uh, Yes, as Ferdinando pointed out uh, earlier, the importance of the European Central Bank's action in saying that it was ready to do whatever was necessary to uh, protect the monetary union was was really important um, earlier this year. And that that has provided some breathing space for the markets, and which means that they don't necessarily look on this Italian election as a do-or-die moment. I mean, you could argue that its importance is as great as that of the, the famous election in 1948 when you had the forces of Roman Catholicism lined up against the forces of communism. But I think if you were to have an inconclusive result to this election uh, uh, in in February, it seems most likely, then you may well be looking at another election uh, later down the road. And that that might turn out to be a more important vote because I think by then the forces on the centre-right would have regrouped um, and overcome this period of decomposition caused by Berlusconi's decline. Ferdinando, uh, just give us a sense of what kind of a moment this is for Italy. I mean, we talked about the economic gloom and so on, and yet I've read counterintuitive arguments that actually, beneath the surface, the situation of the Italian economy is not that bad. You're close to a primary surplus for the budget. Uh, the industry and exports remain 
strong, uh, high household savings and so on. Do you think that beneath this gloom there is the opportunity for a kind of modern renaissance or, or are you actually quite gloomy about the long-term prospects of Italy? Well, I think it's difficult to be too optimistic at the moment because the real economy is really suffering. I mean, uh, there are lots of companies which are going bust. Unemployment is going up. If there is a silver lining is that the next government knows that he has to really push through some reforms which have been overlooked for far too long. So I think the real challenge for the next government will be to be able to do much of what uh, Mr. Monti had promised and could not deliver partly because of the strange nature of its coalition. Now, clearly, I think on the fiscal side, things are probably better than many think. It is an economy which is already in primary surplus. But until growth resumes, it will be very, very hard for the country to convince investors that it's huge debt that is sustainable. And the situation in the streets will remain terrible. Politically, Tony raised this idea that this could be a turning point moment, the end of the Berlusconi era. Does it feel like that to you? Or do you think we're still in this kind of interregnum period? I think it is a turning point. Where I disagree with Tony is that I don't think the next election will be inconclusive in its result. I think the centre-left will win it. If Mr Monti decided to run, the centre-left will have to govern in conjunction with the Monti party if this was strong enough. This is really a watershed for the centre-right in Italy. The Berlusconi era, I think, it's, it's over. The centre-right has to reinvent itself in one way or another. Will it be Mr Monti the man who reinvents it? I don't know. But for sure, they need to think of a new model because the model which they've used successfully for themselves for the last two decades, because they've won several elections, perhaps less successfully for Italy, well, is now over. And they need to think of a new idea for themselves. Okay, Ferdinando, thanks very much for those closing thoughts. Thanks also to Tony Barber here in the studio, to Guy Dinmore in Rome. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.